Hi, and welcome to A Sober Girls Podcast. I'm your host, Sherry, and I have been through my own ups and downs with sobriety. And if you're listening to this, then you have taken the first step to making a change in your life and finding a community to help you through it. Now, let's start this journey together. What's up, fam, and happy Wednesday. I hope that all of you had a really good weekend. I, myself, had an awesome weekend. I got to my meeting on Saturday morning, and there was actually a newcomer that was there. That seemed to really get my weekend going on a good note. It really makes me excited when I get to see newcomers, and this newcomer actually was coming due in part to the pandemic. He actually saw his life going down a different path uh, than where he wanted it to be. And he figured he had a problem, knew he had a problem. And so he wanted to come to AA to see what it was like. And it was really awesome to watch everybody jump into action and to see everything that I had talked about all week last week come to fruition. So that was a really great way to start my weekend. Also helped another friend in sobriety this weekend who hasn't drank since Christmas. So that's really kind of cool. And he has been doing a lot of listening to the podcast. He recently got the big book. So he's really taking off on his own. And I'm extremely proud of him. I told both of them basically that... There's a lot of work that has to be done in sobriety. Sobriety doesn't mean that things are going to get easier right away. And they're really not. I remember when I sobered up this afternoon or morning's episode, whenever you're listening, is going to be a little bit different than the others. I wanted to talk to you about the promises and how they do come true. The nine step promises, in case you don't remember, are the promises that if you work the program, things will come around for you, things will end up well for you, and they're not extravagant promises, but they do work if you work them. I quit drinking April 23rd of 2010, and one of the last hurrahs for me, this went all the way into sobriety this this issue um it's gonna take me a minute to (laughs) get through it so bear with me I had to go back and do the math and do some thinking because that's how scrambled my brain is you guys like alcohol really screwed up (laughs) my brain and my dates so let's go back to 2006 I know that seems a ways off but that's where we're gonna have to start because in 2004 and 2005 my spouse had deployed and I was a party girl. I really seemed to tie one on and every opportunity that I got when he came home on R&R I got uh, pregnant with my now 15 year old son and I gave birth to him in May of 2006 now, I had clearly not sobered up by then. This was going to be a long four years. If it hadn't already been a long three years and everything prior, it was about to be another long four. 
Um, as soon as I had my son, I actually moved in. He and I moved in with my mom. And the reason we moved in with my mom was because he had retained property in a divorce settlement in a really crappy town called Lake Lillian, Minnesota, way, way out there. And this house had been abandoned and it was just ugh, a disaster. And so my mom and her infinite wisdom said, you know, you guys can go and fix it up on the weekends and stay here. So at least I know that, you know, my daughter and my grandson are taken care of. So the first year of Trevin being alive, that's where we lived with my mom. And at one point, things had gotten so bad with him not helping out, being not just depressed, but almost manipulative, rude to my mom. You know, he left right away for school. He was in the military full time and he left right away for school as soon as Trevin was born, I think two days after. And that started my long haul of a lot of single parent dumb. And I know that a lot of people are going to say, oh, well, you weren't really a single parent. You know, I'm sorry, but us military wives, we are single parents a lot of the time. And, you know, that can offend someone or not, but it's the God's honest truth. I think I was alone more than I was married. And that is not the problem with my drinking. That is not the problem with my alcohol. If you are married to someone in the military and your marriage is going strong, I 110% applaud you due to my domestic situation with my spouse and the verbal and emotional abuse I went through. I was not one of the lucky ones. So we're living at my mom's and I'm finishing college. Good God willing, I am finishing college. Um... I only I could turn a four-year degree into eight and leave with two small menial bachelor's degrees but while I was going to college I was not working so I had applied for child care assistance and this would be I stayed home with Trevin for the first probably year and um, I got child care assistance from 2007 to 2008 and it seemed to really help we got I don't remember you guys I think it was like half or something like that and then we just paid the other half and we wanted to get our own place I wanted to get our own place so badly that I stole from my mother and how did I do that you might ask I am not going to tell you but basically I took out a loan and you can pretty much figure out the rest from there because I'm not going to give anyone else any bad ideas. So we ended up getting a down payment for my for our first house, our first and only house together. And we moved from one county to another. When we did that, I went to go and try and take care of my child care. Yeah, child care, I don't know, daycare assistance, child care assistance, something along those lines. Well, we had trouble because... Oh my God, <laughs> we had trouble because at this time we were not married yet. That's a whole nother box of worms that I just am not really willing to dive into right now. Uh, there was a lot of deception behind that as well. So we've been living together. We um, had been together for quite some time now at this time. And when I went to go talk to my worker about, you know, health or not health care but daycare and continuing benefits things along those lines what I did was um, bring in all the receipts and in Minnesota for whatever reason when you are with the father but they are not you're not married 
you can't count them for childcare assistance or welfare assistance, anything like that. I had to bring in receipts showing that he was making an effort for buying diapers and food and all this weird stuff. I thought it was really stupid. And that doesn't mean that it's right or wrong. I had a really hard time understanding it. And the woman that was helping me was just a demon. Oh my God. If there is one thing about people and social services, I don't know if you're listening or not. I know that you guys go through a lot, but my God, can you extend a little courtesy to some people or take the time to explain things to them? Because that was one of the scariest, most inconvenient things that I had ever done in my life. I'd never asked for welfare. I'd never asked for food stamps or any of that stuff, but I had to go through all this rigmarole to get daycare assistance. And um, it doesn't matter why I needed it. It doesn't matter what my income was, that is that is not the problem here. That is none of your business. That is not the problem. I was learning a lot about the county system. I'm also going to school at this time for criminal justice and political science. So the woman that I was trying to get, who was my worker, who I was trying to get to help me, was doing me no favors. Man, I tried with her. And every time I met with her, every time I met with her, I left crying because she made me feel like two inches tall. She made me feel like I was the worst human on the planet. And I was already getting that at home from my, at that time, boyfriend. So, you know, I just felt like an all-around dirtbag. I could barely finish school, but I really wanted to finish school. I was still drinking. I had just had a hysterectomy in 2008 because they had found cancerous cells on my cervix and my uterus and so they had to take that out and I had to go through some rounds of hormonal chemo. That was that was really really painful and uncomfortable and he was not really there for me during that either. Um, actually I remember when he when I got the hysterectomy he said now you can fuck whoever you want. So I mean, if that's an indicator to you how well things were going, <laughs> that's, oh, that was a big one. So we, let me rewind. So 2006, Trevin is born. We stay there. And in 2008, I managed to use my mom's information to get a loan for myself and use that as a down payment on a house. We find this house. We really liked it. It was a great house, actually. I really, really loved it. And it was in a nice area, right, nice and close to college. And so I wouldn't have to go far. Well, I was trying to get everything figured out for college, for finishing up college. I was trying to get the daycare thing situated and just to no avail. So when it was time to renew, I don't remember exactly what I did, to be completely honest. I think think I submitted I know I submitted something falsely like either I, I mailed it from my mom's house or I didn't oh I didn't correct my address it, that's what it was I didn't correct my address with the county I was like I've only got four more months of this and then I'll be done with college so I'm not really gonna worry about it you know, like nothing's gonna happen in four months right like <laughs> This has been already a year, year and a half, almost two years. So I, I'm just, I'm going to leave it. I, I'm not even going to deal with it because this lady's a bitch anyway. She doesn't really care. She hates me. She hates my kid. Like she probably hates her job. 
So I was just like, whatever. I didn't change my address. I didn't resubmit anything. I just signed it off and said, yep, this was great. This was fine. The payments still went to the daycare, still half. And I managed to finish the last four months of college. Or so I thought. That's another story. I ended up, I think he deployed again. Gosh, in 2009, right? No, 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 no. It was right before 09. So he deployed the end of 08 in that 09 era. Again, dates are not my friend. (laughs) I know he was there to see my college graduation or see me walk across the stage. And um, that was probably December. And then he probably left shortly after that. So he was gone for a year and this was my heavy drinking year. This was my heavy drinking year. This was my infidelity year. This was my everything year. Well, what had happened between the time I had finished college or submitted those papers, he and I found out that I I was getting ready to take Trevin to daycare and I was standing there and all of a sudden there was a knock at my door. And I remember this plain as day because I was taking laxatives. I was taking laxatives. And the reason I was taking laxatives was because I had gained so much weight for my hysterectomy. I was trying to thin out. And being pregnant a year and a half before that, my body was just not where I wanted it to be. So I answered the door and these two people say, are you, you know, so-and-so? I said, yep, that's me. They said, we are with um, the Department of Social Services Something along those lines. It was like Tim and Kelly or John and Kelly or something like that. And you don't have to talk to us if you don't want to, but we have some questions for you. And I thought, Department of Human Services. Like, okay, whatever. Like, it it didn't dawn on me as a criminal justice minor, uh, later major, (laughs) mind you, that these people were part of an investigation. An investigation means that they're looking for answers. Answers which they're looking for could be criminal. So... I was like, sure, come in. Like, it didn't dawn on me that I had done anything wrong. I was like, yeah, come on in. And they said, did you or did you not obtain services from a certain amount of time to this date? And I was like, yep. And they said, is it true that you moved on this date? And I was like, yeah. And they said, when you moved, did you submit your address change? And I said, no. I said, I didn't because the woman I was working with was such a bitch I said I was desperately trying to figure out how to get things moved over I didn't know I had to switch counties I just realized that I had to update my address I said and I really didn't think anything of it and so here I am telling them the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth right they're like okay okay all right well you know thank you for and I said you know I'm really sorry I got nervous at this point halfway through the questioning I was like okay well you know I really have to get going to school my husband's getting ready to deploy and because at this time we were married now (laughs) my husband's getting ready to deploy I said and I really have to use the bathroom. Well, what happened was I was so nervous that on top of the laxative, I got the nervous bubble guts and I was literally pooping my pants as they were standing there. Least of my worries at this point. But at that time, it was a pretty big deal. So here I am pooping my pants, holding my son while these people are investigating me for what I find out later would be criminal charges. And um, they say, okay, okay, you know, that's, that's fine. If you have any other questions or want to let us know anything else, here's our card. I was like, all right, sweet, whatever, who gives a shit? 
And so I threw the card somewhere. I don't remember where. A couple weeks later, I got this huge envelope and I opened the envelope and I remember reading it. And I had read so many court documents in college at that point. I knew exactly what I was looking at. When I looked at it, it told me that me, (laughs) myself and I, we were being charged with four felonies. And you guys, when I tell you that I thought my world was going to fall apart, holy fuck, (laughs) my world was going to fall apart. At this point, he's gone. We had been fighting already at this point. You know, you're a whore, you're a slut. And I wasn't at that time. I mean, I definitely was drinking and I had guy friends, but I certainly was not a whore at this time. I was not a slut at this time that I can remember. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong if I'm whatever. But I remember that breakdown of confidence before he left. And so I was at my mom's one day and he emailed me and I was checking my email. He basically said in the email that he wanted a divorce, that I was going to sleep around anyway. He just didn't trust me. He saw what was coming. I think at that point, it was the beginning of the end for me. After you've been told so many times what a horrible person you are and what a slut you are and how you're going to sleep around, like, God damn, at some point, just do it. Like, if you're going to be accused of it, just, God... That's not a good mentality to have, but that was the mentality that I had. So I had court and it was pushed out of ways because that's what court is. You know, it's pushed out. I had retained an attorney. We managed to get it squared away pretty, pretty damn quickly. I advised my attorney that I was going to school for criminal justice, that this is what happened. I can't believe that this is ridiculously something that's going on. Honestly, I didn't even think of welfare fraud as a thing. (laughs) It is very, very much a thing. So what I did was I let her know that, hey, this is what happened to me. This is exactly the scenario I was going through with this worker. She was nearly impossible to work with. I have no two feet to stand on with this because obviously what I did was wrong and talking to them was wrong, but I'm going to school for criminal justice and I don't know what to do. I don't, I really really don't want to have four felonies on my record. Let's be honest, who wants four felonies on their record, you guys? And a lot of us as addicts and alcoholics, we all have criminal records. We all have that past that we can't seem to get away from. And it's scary and it's sad and it's frustrating. And the best thing that we can do is do our best to attempt to rise above it. Good news for me, they ordered me to pay restitution in full. Then I had to do 40 hours of community service and what we called back home in Minnesota inactive probation for one year. No drinking, no drugs, nothing like that. Now, what I will tell you guys is that this was not my first brush with the law. In fact, in 2001, 2002, 2003-ish, right before I moved in with my then husband at the time, I worked at a bar. I got drunk after work at this bar or at this bar when I wasn't working. And one time I had run into a tree in a median. They, I went home to my roommate and I called her or she was at home waiting for me. And I told her, I was like, listen, I hit this tree on the median. Do I, do I call it in? Like I had been drinking and I destroyed property because it was these little itty bitty trees in the median where they were trying to make the median look prettier and she's like yeah she's like I would just call it in all right so I called it in 
And the police were like, well, you have a warrant out for your arrest, so we're going to actually take you in. And I had been drinking. Oh, my God. And I was like, whoa, 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 what? Yeah. So evidently, if you don't pay your seatbelt tickets or you don't pay, like, parking tickets and shit, you can get a bench warrant. Or if you miss your court date, you can get a bench warrant. Now, that was before I was going to college. So at this point, I know exactly what that is. But, you know, at 21 years old, I had no clue really what was going on. And so, yeah, they took me down and they booked me and they did not book me for the DUI because even though I had admittedly drove, I was not driving when I got home and they could not prove it. And so what they did get me for and cite me for was destruction of property. So I ended up having to pay for this tree, $325. And as a server at 21 years old, you can imagine how well that probably went over, but I paid it. I spent the night kind of in jail. I went through booking and getting set on the magistrate with my own reconnaissance. So when we finished up the four felony cases, I still had to get booked. I still had to go through all the motions as if the crime were committed in full um, and the time was going to be served because what I got was a five-year suspended sentence 40 hours probation and the one year, five year suspended sentence, the one year probation. Oh, and 40 hours of cus- or, uh, service. So I managed getting that done. But even though they had told me no drinking, I thought to myself, oh my God, you guys, how do I, how did I not know I was an alcoholic at this time? I thought to myself, how would they find out? Because this is not a driving offense. This is not a... Um, moving offense and this is not a drug offense so technically I shouldn't be on the call list and I wasn't I managed to full-on drink for that entire year and by the grace of God here's here's the point of the story I know this is a lot but the point of the story is I realize how privileged I am all right you guys I had moving violations of which I had been booked and processed. I have driven drunk many, 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 many times and should have been caught. And this time, as stupid as it was in my mind, there was a law and I broke it. But I was so in myself. I was so downtrodden that everything was happening to me. Okay. So I use that as an excuse to drink. Even though the judge told me, don't drink, I use it as an excuse to drink. And I was really broken. I was really, really broken. And then later on that fall, I applied for a job. I am still not done drinking, right? This is the end of 09, getting ready to flop into 2010. I applied for a job. I had slowed down my drinking-ish because my spouse was now home And I was trying to quote unquote behave for the most part. So I ended up applying for this job, this dream job, because I had already lost this other job and wasn't working while he was deployed because I had drank myself out of the job that I had while he was deployed. So I was just going to school full time. And I remember applying for this job and thinking, oh my God, what am I going to do? Well, I had talked to my attorney. And she was like, listen, she's like, you were adjudicated. You finished everything. You finished the probation. You paid off everything. She's like, you have been completely adjudicated. Now, what complete what adjudicated means was when I had entered my plea, I had entered an Alford plea. 
which is basically saying, listen, I know that you have enough evidence to convict me of a crime, but I'm not going to say that I did it. And in my mind, I felt like that was fine because that woman was such a wench anyway that I felt like she did this to me because she didn't like me. Like, it wasn't my fault that I didn't change my address. Like, she did this to me. I was like, okay, great. That's fantastic. And she's like, oh, and just don't forget to make your payments because she allowed me to make payments. I was like, yeah, no big deal. Well... It is a big deal because I am still an alcoholic at this point, right? My life is so mismanaged, you guys, as an alcoholic. I think I've gotten away with DUIs. I have gotten away with getting four felonies off my record. I have gotten away with all this shit in my life. And even though my husband and I were at odds because obviously my infidelity and drug use and alcoholism had been fully exposed... You know, in my mind, I was doing pretty well for myself <laughs> and fixing my marriage should have been the easiest of everything that I was going through. So I started at my dream job in 2010, the new legislative season for the Minnesota House of Representatives. And I was so excited, you guys. I want, have wanted to work in legislation forever probably since I saw Legally Blonde right and here I have this great opportunity and I have the ability to really make something of myself the only problem was is that it was in St. Paul so I would have to be driving back and forth to um, Sartell every day but this was my dream job well I was there all the way through pretty much most of the session and then all of a sudden my bosses called me down right? I'm finally getting my life together. It's probably March at this point. Uh, yeah, probably March, beginning of April. My bosses called me down and they were like, hey, we just wanted to let you know that it's not working. And I remember sitting there going, what? I was blown away. I was like, I can't even explain it, you guys. I was simply blown away. I, I hadn't been drinking because I was driving every day. I showed up to work on time. It was n damn near a two-hour drive. I was on my best behavior. Like, I, I didn't, I couldn't figure it out. Well, I figured it out real quick. What had happened was that my attorney, because I didn't return her phone calls, emails, or make any payments, garnished my wages. And so you can imagine when the secretary for the Speaker of the House realizes that one of the employees there has four adjudicated felonies, that's not going to look real good for her representatives that she works for. And I loved my reps that I worked for. I really did. They were, um, some of them were from my area and the other two were from another lower part of Minnesota. And I don't know if they ever found out because I was literally escorted out of the building. Dude, I couldn't even collect my belongings. And I remember that was right before, oh, when was special session? In May? Yeah. So it was right before special, special session we were on a little bit of a break, actually, at that point. So I couldn't even get unemployment because Minnesota is a right-to-fire state. I had managed to obtain this amazing job. I had managed to get my criminal record expunged. I had managed to get rid of 
all of my charges to continue to move towards my goals. And I'll be damned if they didn't still bite me in the butt. And why did they bite me in the butt? Because my life was mismanaged. Because I was powerless over alcohol. Because I had a problem admitting it. Because I had a problem saying that everything in my life was unmanaged. And so even if I had slowed down my drinking at this time or quit drinking at this time, I was so powerless over my life that my drinking and poor actions still caught up with me. They still caught up with me. And I remember being so defeated and so sad. I really shouldn't have been sad because number one, I wasn't in jail. Number two, at this point, I didn't have a criminal record. And number three, I still had a roof over my head. But I do remember get home, getting home and my husband being like, oh, well, that's what you get. That's what you deserve. Little whores get that. And I will never forget any of that. Oh, so I remember I spent the next probably a couple of weeks drinking and looking for jobs all under the thumb of my marriage and being reminded of what a failure I was. And so when I say I didn't want to go to AA for myself, I was going to go to AA to admit or fix everything, you know, blame everything on alcohol. Because if I could do that, then I'll get out of this as well. You know, if I blame everything on alcohol and my using and my addiction, then my husband will have to forgive me because it wasn't my fault. The courts will have to, people will have to look past past this because it's not my fault. And the problem is, you guys, that it absolutely is 110% our fault. And I know that this is a little bit of a messier story, and I'm really sorry. I, I, It's kind of all over the place because putting together dates and times are a little bit difficult for me at times, so I'm very sorry. But as soon as I admitted my powerlessness over alcohol, as soon as I realized that all of my outcomes in life were because of my mismanaged life, stealing from my mother, not changing my address because I didn't want to deal with that woman, drinking and driving and running into a tree, and the only thing I was concerned about was destruction of a small tree. Like, I'm, it's a good thing I didn't hit anybody else. I remember one time when I was drinking, you guys, and I drank and drove and I got home and I had one of those little thingies because, uh, air. <laughs> I can't even think right now. <laughs> I want to say EBTs, but that's not right. Um, I blew into one of those and I blew a 0.28, you guys. A 0.28 at three in the morning. Like, ah, damn. I, a tree is really nothing in comparison to the thousands of lives I could have ruined or hurt or things along those lines. So once I was willing to admit that I needed help is when really the healing became a huge thing for me. Once I was able to stop detoxing and let things through and admitted my personal powerlessness, I was able to put two feet down and stand up. It was, <laughs> it was really hard. And I have spent the past 11 years doing my best, not only for bringing out reform and social justice because I realized how privileged I was and the fact that I was a white female in a small town and I committed a crime and because I had pled my case and blamed it on someone else, 
and it was a win-win for everyone, you know, my case got adjudicated. That doesn't happen for a lot of people, and I'm not going to go off on a ramp, but I know that there are a lot of issues with social justice, and believe me, I know, I know how blessed I am. I also have done a lot to change myself personally. I used to be a user. I used to be mean to people. I used to be petty. And there are times, you guys, where I really can lash out if I want to. And it's a daily struggle at some points when I'm really hurt or depressed to want to just ruin the lives of people around me who have hurt me or hurt them back. But that's not something that someone in sobriety does. That's not a mature, good idea for anyone. It is hard to be the bigger person sometimes, but when I started really working the program, when I started really applying the things that I was learning in the steps, when I started applying the amends, when I started watching my own personal behavior, when I started understanding the implications of my behavior on not only my family, myself, my job, I straightened up real quick. And you know what? Those promises, they do come true. They are not always going to materialize quickly. They are going to materialize slowly. But they will always materialize if you work for them. One of the hardest things I think about sobriety for me is even if I can't get the dates right. Oh, God, I wish I would have blacked out more. Because I hate remembering what I did to people. There is nothing, nothing more embarrassing for me than knowing what a shit human being I was. And I'm not saying that my ex was a good person. That my ex deserved what I did to him. That my ex deserved blah, blah, blah. No one deserves that. It doesn't matter what they do to you. It is not okay to be a bad person. Because all that does is make you as bad as them. And I have really seen the benefits of being a good and genuine person. And guess what? We're going to make mistakes. And the reason I'm putting this out there is because I don't want you to think that I'm some perfect person. Okay? Do I have a criminal record? On record? Nope. Do I have a criminal record? Yep. And am I very blessed for not having to live with the umbrella of the pain and frustration that that brings? Absolutely. I do know that there are a lot of programs out there and we had one in the courthouse that I used to work in and it was kind of like we called it drug court or sober court really and there's quite a few states that have these and they're supposed to help you guys and us if we have legal problems due to alcohol and sobriety um, and drugs that these programs will allow us to work certain steps to either have our criminal records lowered, or I'm sorry, our criminal charges lowered or dropped in some cases. Sometimes they're two years, sometimes they're a year. Um, courts um, are, let me pull one up for you here. There has to be eligibility, right? You need to have multiple DUIs, drug possessions, minor in possession charges, um, and these sobriety courts are literally restricted to participation 
for offenders who have one or more prior alcohol-related convictions. And you have to meet a certain criteria. Strict monitoring, drug and alcohol testing, phase substance abuse treatment. There's also sanctions if you don't go to your meetings. That was a really big one. Sanctions if you have a drug test go wrong, if you don't report to your probation officer, loss of privileges. So there are a lot of things that you can have go wrong. But if you're doing what you're supposed to in these courts, if you're doing what your programs then you can potentially work off those charges or have them reduced. You have to look in your state. You have to contact counsel because I am not an attorney or a legal representative at all. But if you have a criminal record that is due in part to alcohol and drugs, see if your county or locality has a sober court or a drug court or anything under those names recovery court is another one in North Carolina I highly suggest looking into those and seeing what's available in your area now for the other part if you have had felonious charges and I'm assuming they are not violent charges because I don't know anything about that there are roads to expungement and there are roads to restoring your rights. Again, contact legal counsel because if you are working hard in your sobriety, if you are making those huge life changes, if you are going above and beyond to work your program, then those steps, those things, they can happen for you. I am not going to promise that they will. I am not going to promise that all of your charges will be dropped, but I do know that for a lot of us who deal with drug addiction and alcoholism there is a lot of you know petty theft minor theft um i'm not sure what robbery looks like where you're from but you know a lot of us steal in order to get drugs or things that we want just like i did from my mom i stole from my mom so that i could get a house um but that still wasn't under the correct pretenses you guys um that still wasn't under the best way for me to go about doing that obviously. That was a horrible, horrible decision. I mean, I violated my mother's trust. It wasn't just taking pills from a bathroom, you guys. I signed her name to get money. Holy shit. Um, but that being said, just because you have a criminal past does not mean it's the end all for you. Just because you've done something wrong, you've led a poor life, does not mean that you're going to continue to be punished for those things. Are there things that are going to come up in sobriety from your past? You better believe it. I really was not expecting to be let go from the House of Representatives. But at the same time, I'm really glad that I was because it gave me another chance to really look at myself and see how mismanaged I was. And I heard someone say in a meeting this past weekend, you know, has it ever occurred to you that God took all these things away from you so that you could focus on your sobriety And that's the way that I am going to look at that remaining six months of my life prior to stopping drinking is God was slowly taking things away from me so that I would focus more on my sobriety, my mental health, and myself. This is a reminder for you guys. This episode, as hard as it is for me to put all this out here, it does not matter to me because what matters to me is knowing that you are going to be able to hear me and say, she did it. 
she overcame it. It might be harder for some. It might be easier for some. That doesn't matter. We don't compare stories. What we do is we tell stories so that we know we're not alone. And you are not alone. And don't you ever forget that. I am here for you. If you need help in the legal system, there are many different ways that you can obtain that. And if you need help figuring that out, I will help you. But just know that your story doesn't have to end. You get to continue writing the rest of your story. You get to continue to make amends and be a good person and work your program and help the next alcoholic who is still suffering. And I could not be more proud of the person that I am today compared to who I was years and years ago. I have come so far in my 11 years of sobriety and I still make mistakes but I am not a piece of shit like I used to be. And I know that's probably not the nicest thing to say about myself, but I was. So it's okay with me. You just can't call me a piece of shit because you haven't walked in my shoes. <laughs> so, And with that, I am going to sign off. Just remember that you are amazing. You are loved and your story is not over yet. And I will definitely be back next week. But I told you this year, this season, harder truths, harder talks because... Life isn't going to get easier once you put the plug in the jug, you guys. We still got to do the work. Have a great weekend. Thank you for joining us on A Sober Girls Podcast, where we get together to talk about each other's experience, strength, and hope. I hope that today's episode was something that you needed to hear today, something that you can carry with you. I really look forward to our time together. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram at a sober girls pod. Also, you can check us out on Twitter at a sober girls pod and our website at a sober girls podcast.podbean.com. Till next time, be well, fam.